Speed with Addie Dobson, The Legend of the Mermaid Tree, is the is the feature film winner at the Romance and Relationships Film Festival. Quite the interesting story. It's it's a period piece as well, so it's got some romance, intrigue. It's got some mysticism. If I said that word right, it's uh, quite yep. the script. Congratulations. Uh, tell us, when did you kind of come up with this idea to write this script? Thank you so much for having me, by the way. Um, I'm, I'm from St. Simon's Island, and that's where an architect or a woodworker went and carved into all these trees on the island. And so I grew up going and visiting all these trees and the folklore. And mm. um, and then during 2020, of course, we had a lot of downtime. So I was like, you know, I want to write something really moving and thoughtful. And um, And I also was homesick being away from my family during 2020. So I started writing it um, in 2020 with the um, I had it kind of mapped out in 2015. I just put it on the back burner and then I had the free time to finally do it. So it's kind of like a, like it's, it's, it's almost like it's a very common story where someone passes away, like grandfather passes away in this script. And then we kind of learn information about them after they pass away. And then it kind of opens up a can of worms, opens up new stories, I guess. Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, Joshua, the main character, has to move back home after his grandfather's passing and he finds a journal and it has all these um, stories and coordinates of his grandfather's first love. So it's kind of a romantic treasure hunt Yeah, um, is really how I would explain it. And then he also kind of has a, a character development uh, through these uh, stories. So when did you cut, like, like, did you, is this like a personal, did you have like a personal experience where someone passes away and you're kind of like, it's kind of an interesting thing where like, when like, say we all are going to die. So someone dies and then you have these possessions and then someone, your family member generally is going to go into your possessions and kind of like uncover, like almost like more who you are as a person, I guess. Yeah, no. Um, so I, I mean, I guess it could be a little personal in that sense. I uh, lost my grandparents tragically in a plane crash when I was young. Oh, wow. So, uh, um, and my sisters were in the plane crash as well. My sisters survived, thankfully. Um, but going through their belongings, we also got to see a side of them that uh, we didn't get to. And they were just lovely people in their community. They were very supportive of their community and they really did thrive um, as well. So I think sometimes we don't really know people until after they pass. Um, yeah, exactly. and, and you, you kind of get to open up the sides of them that you don't get to see. I mean, of course your grandparents are always going to show the good side. Yeah. Um, they're always going to show you the loving side, but when it comes to like the deep personal things, that's going to be a little bit more hidden and, and, um, more reserved. So I think that's where the inspiration came for that. Um, <clears throat> cause I do think that through death, we also, uh, find a different path of, of life. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's like, especially when something like tragic happens like that, where they have no time to prepare, where they're just, they're, they're alive one day and the next day they're not. So they're not, it's not like they're going, like sometimes when you have like a, a disease or something like that, you can kind of prepare your, your surroundings for others, I guess. Right. So that's, a, was that like a commercial, I, mean, I don't want to pry too much, but was that like commercial? Uh, it seems like such a, such a crazy thing that happened. Like even when you're yeah. Uh, so my grandparents, they were pilots. They had their own uh, jet plane. Okay. And um, there's a rule with uh, jet planes compared to commercial. If a part is broken on a commercial flight, they immediately replace it. 
yeah. on jet planes, they have a three strike rule. So what they do is we'll, we'll repair and put it back on. And with my grandparents, they had had issues with this one part and uh, it was repaired and put back on and repaired and put back on. And by the third time, that, that third strike is when the plane crashed. Oh, wow. And then they were and your sister survived, though. Yes, they did. Uh, my sister, Rebecca, she had a lot of uh, facial uh issues like she um shattered bones uh this her lip was in half she lost like five teeth she had like over 20 surgeries throughout the time she was 15 until she was 18 and then my sister elise who is really the hero uh, of the story because she jumped out of the airplane and went and got help it was in the middle of the woods um so she ran through the woods barefoot trying to flag down a car um and you know, through that, I think she saved my other sister's life and she only had a goosebump. Uh, I think because Rebecca had fainted, you know, once they said we were going down, she fainted. She was kind of a dead weight. So she rolled. And that's why she had more injuries than Elise did. And um, Elise, she uh, she was awake through the whole thing and just went through fight or flight mode and just went straight to fight mode and started like targeting places to run to and saw a barn started running towards the barn and then heard a road and ran towards the road. And this is the time when, you know, Nokia's, uh, you know, was still out and phones weren't really something that everyone had. So the person that she flagged down um, drove her to the closest phone that to get her to, and then drove her back to the mile marker. And she wouldn't give her name to my sister. And to this day, my mom thinks that was an angel helping her. Yeah, this, there's a story there, <clears throat> right there. Oh, yeah, it's been in the works. I've been trying to write it for quite some time. There's just a lot of uh, underlying details to go, that goes into it. And there's obviously emotional, like, it's it, it's not, it's a personal story as well, right? So. Absolutely. Wow. And I want to make sure that everyone's portrayed uh, very delicately and um, with, you know, respect to my sisters and what they've gone through. You know, this is technically, I mean, in a sense, their story, it's not just mine. I mean, I was at home when I, my mom got the phone call and, um, and it was just life shattering and altering. I was 11 when it happened. Wow. And you, were you supposed to be like, were you almost on the plane yourself or? I was actually supposed to go to Disney. Um, when we were younger, there was like a corporate event at Disney um, where everyone at my grandparents' company got to go. And I think it was other companies as well. And so for it was my sister, Rebecca's birthday gift. And Elise was going for an internship in Chicago. The destination was in Chicago. Yeah. Um, but they went down in Alabama. Um, but uh Elise um, was there for, I'm sorry, Elise was there for the internship. And then my grandfather, uh, because he felt bad for me, got my mother and I tickets to go to Disney because I didn't remember it. I was four when I went the first time. So my mother and I were supposed to leave, I believe, that weekend to go down to Disney and to have a, a time together. Um, and that, of course, got, you know, changed. Wow. Okay. <laughs> just a segue. I know. We, yes. Back to your script. I, sorry. I, I just had to, I was just so, I was so interested in it. It was like, it's a fascinating story. And it's like your sister. Yeah. Amazing. Like, like I'm sure, oh, yeah. like I'm sure that she, they're both doing fine now. And like, I'm assume, but yeah, they're doing great. They both have kids. They're, you know, have, uh, they've been married and they're definitely role models in my life. They're the positive influence on me as uh, kept me going in my career. So the, so segue back to your script. So you, you kind of uh, alluded that you kind of wrote, there was COVID going on. And then you decided, okay, I got time on my hands. So I'm going to write, write this script, correct? Yes, sir. 
It's a, very, it's a it. very common story in the last couple of years mm-hmm. of people. And like, it's better than, than watching Netflix all day, I guess, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I definitely couldn't do it. I was so bored. I think I was actually helping uh, produce a podcast at the time um, called The Clash of Myths. And I was just like, you know, I have all this free time and the and I was going through like some relationship issues. So I was like, let me let me do something romantic mm-hmm. um, and just really kind of dive into it and and make something beautiful out of uh, 2020. <laughs> Yeah. And then, so that's, so you have like a routine, like a set routine. Did you like certain times, like, or just when you're inspired, like, I'm curious what your writing kind of process is like. My writing method is that I go through and I kind of divide it out into three acts as everything. And then I'll probably put like a synopsis of each act. I'll I'll go ahead and write descriptions of each character that I think is coming into play. And then I'll sit at my desk and I'll just open up final draft and just start going. And it's, um, I think I can just hear it in my head. So I'm like hearing the conversations and, and I'm really putting thoughtfulness into it and, um, and go from there. I'm just kind of, I think I did six drafts and thankfully I have good friends that are writers in the industry and I sent it to them and they're like, Oh my gosh, I love the storyline. Here's where you can make it better or here's you can make your character stronger. And, um, and I'm grateful for their time as well because it it only made the script that much better. Is the first draft like that? You just want to get plowed through and get the first draft done, I guess. Right. And then you can start. Yes. Uh, Well, I mean that too, but my first draft was like 130 pages. So I was like, okay, I need to condense. Yeah. You know, just, I think I got uh, overly inspired when I was writing. Of course. But that's how to dial it back. Yeah. But that's what rewriting, everything that's all about rewriting, I guess. Right. You have to like pick through it, but at least you got the spine kind of completed, I guess. Right. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, being able to know what scenes I can cut to also make it uh, flow and um, and also verbiage as well. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, does this, what what motivation does this person have for saying this? Do, do they need this? And then kind of dialing it in from there. Yeah, 100 percent. So you also like it's a great script. So I hope it's doing it's serving you well. It's like I guess it's a good like uh, if you have an agent or, or it's, it's a good like uh spec it's a good piece of material for you to like showcase your 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 talent i guess right yes um i will say i submitted to a couple of production companies only one had gotten back to me and said that it was a little too soft for them which that's fine (laughs) and then i have another company who's looking at it right now and i'm still waiting to hear back whether or not um they would like to move forward with it so i'm just kind of playing the waiting game at this point but a lot of it it was cold calling and trying to get past the gatekeeper to submit it's interesting that they said it was too soft because I guess that's the times that we live in, I guess, right? Everything has got to be. I thought it was an interesting choice of words considering yeah. the movies that they've done. Um, Cause I was like, Oh, well this one's a really soft movie, but uh, I, I've been seeing a trend for romance. So I was like, this is the perfect time to write one. Yeah. Well, Hallmark movies, they, they produce like a hundred of them a year, I guess. Right. Yes, which I did submit to them. I never heard back. I think um, I was going back and forth with someone there, but they left the company. So it might have just fallen off. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, it, it, but maybe they got scared by the period piece. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, who knows? 
So, but they gotta get they gotta get themselves like yeah, because they, they, there's only a certain amount of stories about you know a girl lost her boyfriend and she goes to a small town and then meets the mechanic and then they fall in love stories. I guess right? They gotta they gotta spice it up a little bit. Oh yeah, other than their Christmas specials, they yeah. have. I but, mean, but it, who doesn't love a good Hallmark movie from time to time? But it's the same story, right? Like it's it's it's, it's except it's Christmas time, right? So, it does it does typically have like the same formula. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So, okay. So tell me about, okay, cause you got me fascinated about, um, we asked you in the blog interview about what else you're passionate about. So the alternative baseball league, I was actually looking at the site today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's something that's like for autistic people or people on the spectrum who can play. It's like a baseball league for those type of individuals. Correct. Yes. And you uh, write content I- for it. Like, what do you mean? You said you write created content for it. What did you mean by that? I was uh, actually trying, I feel like this was a perfect time. I had been, you know, contemplating trying to find something for my company to do as more of a philanthropic um, assist to uh, my community. And uh, out of nowhere, Taylor Taylor Duncan, the founder of the Alternative Baseball League, reached out to me on LinkedIn and started telling me his story. And I went and met him for coffee and Taylor had always loved baseball, still loves baseball. He knows everything about baseball. I, I truly am in awe of everything that he's achieved. And I can't wait to see which, what else he achieves as he continues his career. Um, but he had told me that when he was a child, they wouldn't let him play because they thought that he was a risk of getting hurt. So they benched him. And so when he got to him at an age where he could uh, coach, He signed up to coach and then the parents would come to the practices and then realize he was on the spectrum and wouldn't let him coach. Um, So he thought, okay, what can I do to create this more inclusive environment? And so the alternative baseball league was created so that people who are on the spectrum and off the spectrum can come together to play a game of of non-judgmental baseball. So we made, um, he didn't have any videos, anything to really help uh, market himself. So I said, okay, Taylor, let's let's get some videos done and let's uh, come out to the games. We got a ton of different shots, whether it was on the drone or um, the Q&As with the players. Um, and he had submitted them. And within, I think it was four months, he was on ESPN. And then within six months, he was on the Today Show. Wow. Yeah. And so and you just helped him kind of finesse the kind of the, the message, I guess. Absolutely. And then we cut it all together and uh, wrapped it up with a bow and said, please, you know, reach out if you need anything else. So it's in it now it's in a, now it's like a bunch of cities all over the country, I guess, too. Right. Yes. Yes. More and more leagues are popping up. Um, I think COVID kind of made it a little harder, but um, I'm very sure. proud of what he's done. He, he's definitely um, a role model in his community. Well, tell if you ever want tell him if he ever wants to go to Canada or Toronto. Uh, send me, send yeah. me you know, I can help out. No, seriously, I'm a big, I'm a big baseball fan. And so mm-hmm. like, and I think that what you, that story, his origin story is tragic in so many ways where it's like, it's, you know, it's prejudice, right? Like about, being, yeah, yeah it, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that he's going to be worse of a coach. Right. It doesn't mean he's like, no, you know, not he, at all. He could even be a better player than the other players. It's, it's, it's supposed, that's supposed to be like, you know, a league like that's supposed to be for everybody, not just for like, you know, it, it, there's a certain, there's something wrong with what you just described. So and he, he didn't give Absolutely. up. That's an amazing story. 
Absolutely. You know, I think you really um, you got to commend him for just continuing to go. I think I would feel a bit defeatist. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and and not want to. But I love this platform he's created and watching everybody come out because they'll have professional baseball players come out and play with them. Um, so, I mean, they're also learning from professionals as well. Yeah, exactly. And I, I know there's like a blind baseball league, too, right, where they were. Oh, I didn't know blind. that. Yeah. So they're, they're blind and then they can, but then they got, there's like a sensory image. Oh, uh, I think it's, uh, the ball has a, I, I don't know what you're talking about now. It has, um, a noise yeah. so that they can hear the ball and it's on a, um, what do you call the, the stand? Yes. Yeah, the T. Yeah. T. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And then they could, but they my could... parents would be so ashamed. <laughs> yes. <Yeah, especially laughs> they were like, you played for like 13 years. You should know what that is. Yeah. Well, we, we forget, we all have, you know, we all have brain lapses as well. So yeah. So whatever, yeah. That, that seems like an amazing thing that you, you got, that you wrote content for and you really kind of helped him out. I guess when you saw him on to, to today's show, for example, you must've been like so proud. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just someone who had faced such issues, just trying to play a game of baseball, really creating a safe space for everybody and getting it out on today's show to create more is just, I mean, it's overwhelming and it's really exciting for him. I know he is um, constantly learning and growing. And I just, as I said, I can't wait to see what he does next. And so for yourself personally, you said you're in, you're in Atlanta right now. You're working in Atlanta. I am. So, so then what do you, so what is your, your goals? Like, what do you want to do? You want to write on a TV show? Do you want to like, what's your ultimate goal? What do you, what's your. Creative producing is what I really enjoy doing. I like to be uh, there from, you know, conception to birth in a sense, you know, the pre pre-production Um Finding great talent, harnessing it, and creating it into a very beautiful work of art for everybody to enjoy. All right, so let's let's help you in any way you could possible. This is a great, like I said, great spec for you for yourself. And look, COVID has been good. You know, obviously, not to diminish what happened with COVID and the people who got sick and passed away, unfortunately. But for from a creative standpoint, it really kind of inspired a lot of people. I see a lot of movies. Like for myself, I see I hear it all the time. Like movies made and yeah. grips written because of COVID and like in your self example. So there's yeah, some I even um, that would happen to it. Oh yeah. I even, uh, I have a documentary that I'm in post-production for called the key to happiness. Um, Cause I had noticed unemployment rates were going up and, you know, after having a lot of conversations with different people, they were, you know, either didn't want to go back to that job, wanted to try something new, but just didn't know how to start. So uh, the concept of the key to happiness is to um, talk to individuals who have had drastic career change. And I have some of the craziest, coolest interviews. I had a music uh, art, artist management teacher that used to be uh, a loan officer, like million dollar loans at a bank. And now her and her husband are the accountant managers for the Backstreet Boys. And okay. just like kind of a, a shift there, you know, yeah. in the entertainment and then kind of talked to her way into how she changed it. I, you know, I had um, this awesome uh, man that I grew up with, his daughter, and he was the assistant director at Fletzy. He was Capitol Hill Police. He was SWAT. And now he uh, is a bee farmer and a conservationist. Uh, and it is interesting, these career changes that I have throughout the documentary is everyone from, 
you know, in their twenties to in their sixties. So it's never too late to chase after your happiness. And I think that's what 2020 taught us the most is if you're not happy, it's time for a change. Yep, exactly. And one last question, uh, before like I guess it's an audio podcast so people can't see, but over your right shoulder, there's the, there's a calendar with February on it, but we're doing this podcast in October. Why is there a calendar, big calendar with February in the background? That's because the whole room was covered with calendars and that's as far as it went. Um, So I got August all the way to February behind me. Oh, Uh, That's just as as far as it went. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that you knew that it was October, but now that what you just said makes sense. Oh yeah, I definitely know. My birthday was October 9th. So uh, October. Happy birthday. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Thank you. You're a Libra. So that makes sense. Yep. <laughs> so no, no, that makes sense. Okay. So you just, you're, you're, you plan ahead. You're, you're always six months ahead, I guess. Right. Oh, well in production, I feel like you gotta have, um, an idea of what's going to come down the line and be prepared for it, especially if there's any, uh, speed bumps along the way. So yeah, I definitely have myself prepared. Right. Congra- well, congratulations on the script and let's talk again when you either it's made into a film or when you got something else that you want. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. I've enjoyed being here. The Legend of the Mermaid Tree Logline. After his grandfather passes away, Joshua Williams discovers his old journal that leads him on a romantic adventure of his grandfather's first love. Genre. Romance. Comedy. Period piece. Based on... If any, the tree spirits of St. Simon's Island. Interior, Joshua's condo, bedroom, day. Joshua Williams, 28, wakes up to his alarm in his bedroom. He turns it off. Interior, Joshua's condo, closet, day. He walks to his closet and turns on the light. There are rows of color-coordinated clothes, almost OCD. Interior, Joshua's condo, kitchen, day. Joshua grabs a glass and juice from the fridge. His phone rings. Mom appears across the phone screen. He ignores it. Interior, Joshua's office, conference room, day. Joshua's at the head of the table. There are 10 people in the room, and their boss, Michael Smith, 45, leads the meeting. Joshua's mom calls again, and he ignores it. This client is very strict in its deliverables, and we have a timeline of three months upon delivery and a week to pitch. They want something new, fresh, organic. Something that reminds people of their origin. They don't want that. Excuse me? Oh, uh, I'm, uh, I'm sorry. No, proceed. I think we are eager to hear what you have to say. Okay. Why be like everyone else when you can be an individual, a differentiation, a change for the better? The whole room stares in silence. Joshua stands up. They all say they want something organic, but what they really want is something better than an origin story, a glorified, glossy version of struggle and triumph. They want to remember their first start. This is who we are. This is what we stand for, kind of totem. Joshua winces as the room goes silent. Everyone in the meeting looks to Michael. I couldn't agree more. I think you should take the lead on this. Choose your team and keep me updated. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, sir. Thank you, everyone. That will be all. The group gets up from the table and congratulates Joshua on the way out. 
Joshua walks towards Michael. Thank you again for the opportunity. Don't thank me yet. This portfolio is a make-it-or-break-it scenario. How long have you been here? Five grateful years, sir. And I'm assuming you want to grow within the company, correct? Yes, sir. That's good. Really good. Because one of our executives is leaving. And I think you would be a good replacement. That is, if you can pull off this pitch. Rest assured, I won't let you down. Good. Because if you do, we might need to reevaluate your role in the company. Joshua's mom calls again. Do you need to get that? Uh, Yes. Please excuse me. Sure. I'll need the outline tomorrow morning. Michael exits the conference room, and Joshua answers his phone. His mother, Madeline Williams, 54, cries into the phone. Yes? Joshua, oh thank God, I've been trying to reach you. Sorry, I just got out of a meeting. Is everything okay? No. I don't know how to put this into words. Your grandfather... Is he okay? There's been an accident. Your grandfather... They found his sailboat a few miles out, but they couldn't find him. Joshua sits down. What? I know. I'm trying to understand it, too. Joshua, you need to come home. The funeral is Wednesday. I don't think I can make it. Joshua, your grandfather loved you. We need you there. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll be there. Exterior, airport, night. Plane takes off on the runway. Exterior, beach, funeral, day. There's a small group of people on the beach, along with Joshua and his father, Robert Williams, 56. His mother stands in front of the small group. Stephen Taylor, 82, their grandfather's friend, stands with them. My father was an amazing man. He came to this island with love in his heart and for the sea. He was the kind of man who fulfilled promises and was the person you wanted to be around. He was my father my inspiration, and my captain. You know, people used to joke that he was so close to the ocean that he was the keeper of the mermaids. He loved those stories. But now, he is with my mother, in peace. 